I meant to oh, throw nice. that way farther. <laughs> Got it. We're t- we're tuckering out Roscoe. What? Roscoe. Tucker out the dog. Can you jump on the bed? Mm-hmm. I can't That's find cool. it. Where is it? Mother. <laughs> Mother. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Super Hot Bad Guy Podcast, the place where we discuss the hot villains of any gender from any genre. These include crime, drama, action, adventure, romance, and good old horror. We're your hosts, Eric Blake. Mark, uh, Markella Dykbus. <laughs> Natasha Baptiste. <laughs> Marka Markella Dykbus. Our new mama, mama, ma- <laughs> Come on, come on. Feel it, feel it. Feel the vibration. Can you feel Marka? Something about no cocaine. That's the Is that what the song's about? Song's about we don't need drugs to have a good time. Come on, come on. Feel the natural But they were doing them. They were doing oh. so many of them. <laughs> Maybe not during uh, recording. <laughs> oh probably during recording. Mm. Off of the booth. I'm sure the song that's going to play before... The song you just heard was probably Beatles, Misery, Why Not? Oh! That's a good thing to bring up. There was a really good couple of songs I would have loved to play for Misery if there wasn't already some good songs Mm. in there. Um, There was also good songs I could have played for our last villain, which was David Lopan. I'm going deeper underground. Jamaraquai. Uh, oh. <laughs> and what was the other yes. one? <laughs> oh, man. I feel like there's a good synergy there. I like that. <laughs> um, oh, why don't we just pick those? If we can't think of the food, think of the song. Mm. Oh, that's a good idea. That's a good thing to morph into would be like, if you can't think of a food, pick a song. Food yeah. or song. Food or song. Food or song. Ah, uh, yes. A chant is always good. <laughs> the flip side of not having what probably would have been a really cool guest for this episode, because uh, a co-worker of mine who's in the the horror business and like has done some kind of major films in the past and stuff. I thought uh, you were going to say he did some shady, shady things. No, no, no. <laughs> he, um, he suggested Misery for tonight because um, I needed like a female villain to do that's very like December-ish, and that's what he came up with. Um, he's not here today. That's my bad. But um, I get to do the elevator game. Mm. So, Markella, who in an elevator of your choosing would you want to be stuck on an elevator with uh-huh. three villains, and we open this up a little beyond our usual podcast scope to literature, comic books, 
A lot of people choose comic books. Mm-hmm. Or you can stick with uh, TVs and movies, as we usually do. I've been waiting for so long to do this. Um, right off the bat, the number one choice for me for this elevator game has always been Blade from the Puppet Master franchise. Oh, I thought you were going to say Blade, oh. as in Blade. No, no, no. <laughs> I was saying, I was like, hmm, interesting. Blade <laughs> is maybe like a, what, two foot tall... He's a doll. It's a puppet master thing, but none of them are really puppets. Yeah. Um, he kind of looks like a Nazi. He kind of looks like Kane from the Poltergeist movies. He has like like white straw hair. He wears a hat. He wears like a jacket. One hand is the hook. The other one's a knife. And he has like a skeleton face. And I just feel like since it's an elevator, he wouldn't take up a lot of room. He also can't speak. But he's just very expressive, and he's always a leader. Um, you can throw him up into the vent, and he can cut the elevator cable. Yeah. Yeah. But then You're on the first fall. floor. <laughs> <laughs> he could sit in my lap. I could carry him around. Mm. That'd be fine. Um, I will also pick John Ryder from The Hitcher, which uh, the 1986 version of The Hitcher, which is Rutger Hauer, which is someone that Ryan... Usher, our guest from the lost Nurse Ratched One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest episode. Favorite guest. He had, We had been talking about him later on, and he was like, oh, I should have cho- chosen John Ryder from The Hitcher to be in the elevator. And I snatched that from him. But technically, mm. I thought of it first. You, you'll never know. Well, you'll never know. <laughs> he will be on, back on in the future, and then he can just choose then. Um, my third pick. Oh, would be... A recent one that I thought of was The Blob would be great. What? You'd all just be stuck in The Blob, like... You're just floating. Oh, and then... It'll bust the doors open. The blade can cut the cable. When you fall, you're in The Blob, so you just... You're suspended. If you fall into The Blob, you're already being acid burned to death. Oh. Oh. I don't want that. Hmm. (laughs) Also, notice I didn't say Chucky. I said Blade. He's my little... That's what I've chosen. Your okay? diminutive. I don't have to explain my answers. <laughs> um, but now that I've said that, I will probably really regret this later because there's so many to choose from. But I kind of want to say, and this is so weird for me because I've loved Chucky since, since childhood, but I almost want to say Chucky, but... The Fiona Dorif version of Chucky from the newest film. Tell us about that choice. Um, well, spoilers for Cult of Chucky. Sorry, I guess I did kind of spoil that. But um, he goes into the body of an adult woman. And, okay. And it's really great. And she looks amazing. And I also just realized I chose three characters that are all in long trench coats. Hmm. Two of them. No. There's the name. I want to say two of them have scarves, but I don't think that's true. Trench, trench, trench coat, coat villains. Trench coat code. I don't even know if we've done a trench coated villain yet. Krilladville count? Oh. Mm, yeah. yeah. She counts. She counts. Well, I mean, yeah. she was wearing dusters. It's like a, yeah. Yeah, and then fur coats. So today we are doing Misery. Annie Wilkes, played by Kathy Bates. What does she look like? Award winning Kathy Ooh. Bates. Didn't she win an Oscar? She won an Oscar for this one. For this. Did she? Um, yeah. It was like a. I think this was, like, the first Stephen King movie that actually got, like, awards and stuff. 
I was just on Tumblr before this, and I saw people be like, she should have fucking won an award for this movie. <laughs> I saw like three people being like you can go on Wikipedia. I can't believe she should want she should have won an Oscar for this. <laughs> or was so. she just nominated? Nope. Best actress, nineteen ninety one. Okay. Misery. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I thought I read that right. Like she did win awards. <laughs> well, I guess she was nominated two years well like nope. Two more times later. Not two years later. But uh yeah. She so won, now you she know she won for misery. If you wish yeah. it hard enough, it'll come true. Which was even in the past. Lucky for her, because she was just, I mean, not just, but she was a well-known theater actor, but she mm-hmm. didn't really do films, my, and so she won off of this one. My definitely defining word for this movie was delightful. Really? I just mm-hmm. thought it was delightful. I haven't I, watched it in a long time, and this same. time, like... It was a fun winter film. It yeah. It is a good winter film. It is a good winter film. Like, you, you're drinking, like, your hot toddies or your cocoa. Mm-hmm. It's, like, snowing. It's great. It's yeah, different. typewriters, yeah. lodges, Colorado lodges. Yeah, it feels like, well, this was like my first Stephen King book that I read. I don't know why my dad let me read these things, because like, oh, oh, it was kind of gruesome oh, as far as, like, the book went a lot farther than the movie, and I have a lot of nostalgia for this movie, but at the same time, I'm like, why did my dad let me do this? Do you remember enough of the book that you can kind of give us some facts that we don't know? Um, yeah, I actually didn't remember these things from a book because I literally read them when I was like, I think I was like 11 or 12. Okay. Tidbits from the book. Definitely scattered throughout my notes. Chops (laughs) his feet off and cuts up his thumb. What I liked between that and the movie was that in the movie it still was kind of terrifying. Like when she broke his ankles, like, and in the way that she did it, because you knew what was happening. Even if you've never seen anything like that before, there's no other reason to put a board on someone's leg and then have a sledgehammer. Like, there's no. She's explaining it. She's just like, it's called hobbling. And it's on the number, (laughs) it's like number, it's still on the top 10, like, like, oh, yeah, cringe. Or, or like hard to watch horror scenes. It's still oh, yeah. up there. It's and also I... it's also cool because they show her doing the first one, and then they don't show the second one. Yeah, I mean they show him. <laughs> I think they they probably have a cut where that's it, and they were like, Ugh, "That's a bit much." I think probably people in the audience seeing the droopy one and then the other one getting hit, it was probably way, way too, too much. much. Yeah. What, what were you gonna say? Now I can't remember, I'm but. Sorry. <laughs> Well, no, I, when I, I remember when I first watched this movie, I think maybe I was just in shock because I don't remember her explaining what she was doing. I just remember sitting there like, why she put her board there? Why does she have that thing? <laughs> oh, shit. And then like it clicking right before she like breaks his ankles and like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, just how, like. How old were you when you saw it? Not much older than when I read it. I was probably around the same age. I probably read the book and then I was like, there's a movie? How old were you, though, then? It was, like, 11, 12. I was 11 or 12 when I saw it. The same time I saw People Under the Stairs. That's when I started seeing not goofy horror films, but more, like, disturbing thrillers, and those got to me way more than, like, a horror film would. Uh, People Under the Stairs was my gig. I I really liked that movie, but I think it's because the guy... The main, like, the white kid under the stairs. I can never remember his name. The Roach. Great, yeah, Roach. Um, he was in other stuff, like, other kids' shows. And so was the black kid. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, my God, I know these people. And so I was super into that movie because I've seen them 
and other stuff. I can't tell you what it was. Moonwalker. <laughs> I remember seeing them. How old were you when you saw Misery? I didn't see it when it came out originally in 91. So I saw it in the 2000s in college, I think. And I think the first time I saw it, we were watching it on TV. And my friends were all disappointed because they actually cut the first ankle as well. So it's all off screen. And it's oh. just like, I was like, that was still, I was like, yeah, I mean, it still got the point across. I understood what was going on. Like, it sucked. But then I saw it uncensored because someone demanded that we see that scene. <laughs> so you realize that with his legs being as bad as they were, he could still not even go anywhere in that snow. Yeah. And I suppose this is supposed to take place in Colorado, right? Yep. Yeah. I haven't lived in Colorado, but I've definitely lived in a bunch of winter territory where hospitals totally do get blocked off for more like hours, not not days. Yeah. And of course, you know, Annie yeah. Wilkes is lying her ass off about how bad the access is for a long time in this film, of course. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about, did you guys like the movie? Not like the movie? I loved Mediocre? it. I liked it so much more than the first time I saw it, because I think the first time I saw it, I don't know. I think I liked it more than the first time I saw oh, it, too. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I wasn't... I was getting into horror, but I, like, I had to start over in college because I didn't... I missed a bunch of classics. So I had just seen, like, Hellraiser. So I really Hell liked... Hellraiser? Yeah, I had just Hellraiser? seen... Hellraiser? Hellraiser. <laughs> <laughs> I had just seen Hellraiser for the first time. And I was like... It was so visually amazing and, like, not the story that I thought that movie had at all. So I wanted to see more of that series when we watched misery for the first time and i was like oh it's more of a psychological one i did see all of the stephen king horror movies growing up like uh christine and uh cujo needful things like all of the ones based on his books and short stories i really liked i just never saw this one growing up yeah and i like it more now than in college i guess um who wants to do do you want to do your notes first who picked this one i did I did. Um, it was me. It was me in the alcove. I mean, my notes are pretty short. They're really about how I really enjoyed this um, this time, watching how you kind of get pulled along with her game. And to me, that's what makes her like a sexy villain, is that her long game and her mania, it like really kind of slowly dawns on you and like washes oh, totally. over you. And there's all these like high points of seeing into her her mind and then i i think when he's creeping about the house and finding out about her that's exposition for sure but i think the best parts of the development are just what you see in her breaking her nice person guys and getting more and more cruel i think it's the best use of exposition though like that's literally like he has to know that stuff it's not just the movie telling us yeah i think it was perfect and i do like the all the background details based on actual serial killers from history as far as her twisted past. And just learning all that slowly is... I haven't gotten to read this book yet, but I have I really enjoyed the movie, so I probably will, because I just like the overall sequence of events. Like, yeah, it's this. it's not even a seduction, it's just her slipping into her own delusion... And you're along yeah. for that ride with this completely broken person. Well, I wanted to read it again. Well, mainly because it's been like almost 20 years since I've read this book. But um, 
just reading more about like the theme behind this book or like Stephen King told some newspaper or whatever that he was going through substance abuse and so that's where this character came from mm. of course from other influences and stuff but he was just saying like how like it was my biggest fan and she never left me she wouldn't leave me alone so and then he was like and that's what came from this like character was just like she was his biggest fan but also just completely destructive but then really nice and what if i really like, had a big fan yeah and then the more i thought about like how he was explaining her i was like oh because you know it's wrong for you and you it's not like it, your choice anymore you're you are kind of like secluded on your own by no choice of your own because you're just like addiction just hits you and it was a very good way to kind of write it out and then see it on screen and Did you... see it all play out hear about how when he got into his car wreck and he was like i the story i always heard was that he got into this car wreck and that's how he wrote Dreamcatcher when he was like super drugged out and stuff and i don't i heard the second hand so this might not be real but when he came to in the hospital the nurse was like i'm your biggest fan i i mr king blah 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 and then she was like oh my god i'm so and then she remembered that she had read misery yeah she was like i didn't mean it like that but not like that not like that (laughs) yeah so i don't know if that actually happened but like i'm sure that's hilarious yeah i am your biggest fan oh (laughs) i mean not like this isn't my house it's the hospital i'm sorry but that is interesting so i am wondering if in the the book misery if it explains her character a little bit more because that's what i'm wondering well in the in the film and he's doing all that exposition with memory lane i understand that she was a nurse or well she started accidentally kind of killing people and then she's killing people and then because she was a nurse she just transferred her murders over to her hospital work and that's what she did she killed people like older people under her care she started killing like a lot of babies because it was just easier and she's she's a really feminine person like obviously she likes all these romance novels that he writes and she just seems so like wispy and old-fashioned like feminine so i can understand like the baby killing thing and i also understand when she tells him that story of how much his books mean to her and how she was in the hospital after her divorce, like being really lost at work and she kind of fell into his books. I believed her when she said that. Did you guys believe that story was true? Well, yeah. That she really is like his biggest fan because she has all the, she knows all those facts about him. Yeah. Like about like, you said this in an interview in 1980 something. So what you're saying to me right now is a lie. Cause yeah. she knows all this stuff. So totally bought it with all of that oh, yeah. stuff being said, why does she want to kill him just because she's a murderer? She's a, a murderer that's obsessed with well, this guy. She wants them both to die. Yeah. By the end. By yeah. the yeah. end. Yeah. But when she first pulls him out of the car, she never called anyone in the first place. Oh, yeah. Because she, well. She wants to have control over him. Yeah. Yeah. She wants And to she had that. been doing this for a while. Like there is, I guess in the. I don't know if it's really explained in the movie, but in the book, she does kill her dad. And she, like, kills other notably, like, important people in her life. So it wasn't just, like, That's she true. became a nurse and then yeah. So she does kill people. important people. Yeah. Kills, yeah. In okay. the movie, when you go through the memory lane, it shows that definitely parts of her family died. And then it's like, 
oh, this up-and-coming nurse, the best in her class, died. And then she gets best in class. Right. Like, is the yeah. next slide. It's like, Ugh. Well, and then they, like, they allude that she kills her husband after he leaves her by, oh, this guy went missing. Like, he filed for divorce, and then all of a sudden he's missing. And it's like, he's not missing. Like, she, she definitely killed him. Because <laughs> she's killed all these other people um yeah when i was watching it i guess i felt like i was confused by her behavior but the memory lane book just kind of shows like she's gone through this so many times that this is where she's at in her life this is where she's at in her behavior i mean the more i read about like kathy bates process of trying to like get into character and how everybody was supposed to react or like um what's his face the other actor in there was supposed to react to her like I guess Kathy Bates and Rob Reiner like made up this whole backstory about why she would do this and it was very cut and dry like oh well she was molested as a child and that's why she ended up this way and I guess at the time because it's like what was it the 70s 80s so it I guess you don't you know so little about mental health that like that would make sense to you but knowing what we know now I was like that makes zero sense. Yeah. <laughs> like, so many people get molested and do not do this. No. <laughs> so, I feel like it was, especially now, it's easier to go, well, it was the 80s and people are just now talking about mental health and it's 2018. Like, no one talked about mental health. She probably didn't think anything was wrong with her. And because she was a woman, she got away with killing a lot of people. Not only was she a woman, but she was a nurse. So, she mm-hmm. just skated under the radar and they would just transfer her to other hospitals doing what she was doing but just making it somebody else's problem and it's so similar to like real serial killers and nurse murderers of the time where it was like there's no internet there's no like the books aren't yeah it's like you get kicked out of one job and go to another and like Uh, that's the other thing in this movie why does that sheriff through all of his research he had like a year of research if she killed all these people that's her name that they're using, they say Annie Wilkes and all those newspaper clippings. How come he's not like, hey, like he's in the stores being like, hey, is Annie Wilkes been through here? Like he knows who she is. Oh yeah, it's a small town. So he can go to her house, and he does. But he's <laughs> never, as a sheriff, he's never heard of this like baby killer woman. Well, remember he reads that line in Misery, and it's like I must have heard that, or like he like likes it, so he writes it down, and then it's like. He's like, all right, some murderer said that years ago. (laughs) Goes to the library, goes to the newspaper, opens up a book, and is like, oh, there it is. (laughs) But I I guess I just... Because she said the same thing on the witness stand, basically. Well, back then, weren't people notified when serial murderers move into your town or something? Or was she not caught? Colorado. And this was like, no, this was well before that time. I don't think people were... That term wasn't really... And it seems like she wasn't, like... I don't know if she was convicted or what happened, like, how she got out. I don't remember that part, but it's also, like, if she wasn't, like, a sex offender, she might not have been registered. Or maybe she lived too far away from everybody. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of space out there in the mountains. Registered baby murderer. Gotta get on a registry when you do that. It's a simpler time. You didn't get registered for murdering a couple babies. Well, there's another little, like, tidbit where, like, right before he wrote this, there's some nurse so, around that time period that had killed, like, 50 people in a two-year span that oh. they kind of... Oh, I'm sure. ...based her character. Like, I feel like that was his, like, ooh, that would be a good character because... 
So it was like, written in 87, and then uh, I've been listening to various oh. true crime. And there was Jones. Oh, okay. What year was she? I did not write that down. I like that name. Because <laughs> I was listening but... recently to like some really old school, like 30s and 40s bad nurses. <laughs> <laughs> to put it simply like very naughty nurses killing children. I just realized that we lost our Nurse Ratchet episode, and now we're doing our Nurse Annie Wilkes Another episode. Another nurse. Yeah. Okay. Full circle. I guess so. <laughs> but that whole thing made me think of, like, the more I read through it, and especially they had a psychologist, like, look at the movie and kind of, like, analyze it, and he analyzed all these disorders that she could have had if this was, like, a real person. And um, the more I looked into that, too, I was like... God, of course, this has nothing to do with abuse. Like, it, small things could be. But, like, overall, she has other issues that were, like, apart from anything that you can make up to justify her behavior. I can't imagine. Maybe she's always lived in that farmhouse. Because if... I, I don't know. I don't know how you become how she became. Some people just... I mean, the more you look into different things with mental health, it's not, like, something... People try to explain it when there isn't really an explanation. It's just like dealing with depression. It's like maybe a big event happened to you, but a lot of people this was also like happened to you. This was like white men in the eighties. Yeah, just being like, like, oh, women. Yeah, she was molested. Games. What are they thinking about? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that's why she's so crazy. But it made me think of this like story from. It's kind of how this like not a quack doctor, but who's a doctor and he. It's a quack came sheriff. up with like some some random thing with babies that are just like not necessarily SIDS, but close to SIDS to justify like why oh. babies were dying. And there was one particular mother that he studied because like she literally had like seven kids and they all died. And he's like, it must be mm. from this thing. And so everybody read his books like gospel and would like buy all this crap that did nothing to save children's lives. They realized it was something else. Like pretty soon afterwards. Was she murdering them? Oh, yeah. Like, this was how, instead of just addressing that, like, oh, this is postpartum depression because, God forbid, you know, um, they just wrote it off as something else. Mm. But no one really looked at her behavior or, like, how she would act when she got pregnant again or while she was pregnant. She definitely did not seem, like, happy to be a housewife and a mom and people just like assume oh she'll get over it or whatever and no one really looked into it like no she's still not happy and she has the kid like it's not changing (laughs) and so to just justify it this doctor was like let me study you and study your babies and whatever and make up some bullshit behavior and then for it all to come out that like no she was just killing her kids but no one wanted to admit it even after all that it took decades so that's a lot like this, a what? lot like Annie Wilkes, because when she's murdering babies and stuff, and even before that, that was like, what, the 60s in a time in that time frame? Yeah. I can picture yeah. that happening in the 60s. It's like, got to be 60s or 70s, because this seems to be set in like the 80s, like yeah. when yeah, it yeah. was written. Yeah, yeah. And the movie's 91. I think mm-hmm. it's like set in the like, yeah. 80s, basically. And she Reusing some old scenes. A lot of props. babies. <laughs> like before people were like, <laughs> Many and to die a lot of like, and it was like 
there was a pattern before she started killing babies. she's just a bad nurse. Yeah. So, like, one of her family members falls off of a large building, and then she also pushes that nursing student off of a building. And I was like, you're luring all these people up the building. And, like... But she never pushes any kids off the building. It's like she's like, I'm going to drop that part of the MO. Yeah. (laughs) But keep killing. But now I'm going to kill babies. And I feel like all this behavior she was exhibiting, even though the psychologist was like, oh, it's this and this and this. It's like too much of it was so planned. It was just like manic. Like her little outbursts and all that shit. I feel like that was just her being dominant and like putting you into like shock. Like, oh, okay. I will not act like this again. Well, yeah, that's a good point. Because at first in the movie, you think that she starts all these outbursts because she reads the book and she doesn't like it and she can't control herself. And you keep thinking that she's just an unstable person that's never done anything like this before. And she's just, she's so crazy about this author and emotionally unstable and these things are happening to her for the first time and then you realize she never called anyone she planned all this from the beginning and i'm even wondering if you're supposed to assume that she like and she says that she was like following him that day the crash yeah or like did she do did she do that to his legs after when he was still passed out you know i did think his legs were just crushed by the car yeah probably but you gotta wonder but was she the one that drove him didn't he get kind of driven off the road or was it just a spin out he does just like go off the road because he's in a mustang in bad weather like in in the mountains which also didn't make sense because it's like he does this every year like he goes back to his house in new york all the time this time Uh, around um, i can slip on the ice in the snow on the same drive well no i'm talking about the car wouldn't you drive a better car if you know oh if that's because he says it's his like car they say in the movie they're like oh it's his car it's his ritual well you start to realize that it's planned but you don't know where it's gonna go because this time around i caught that she was like oh i know you write it that in yeah and whenever you're out here i kind of just drive around and look in your window (laughs) and that's before she finishes the new book but you already know what happens in the new book so i loved how that was built up where it's like the moments you are waiting for, and oh, especially really? like the last two sequences before she finishes the book, because she's telling you that she's getting to the end of it. I felt like that was like some of the best, like ominous build up, and then her break after that, kind of like that's when all of her lies break down, and you realize she's kind of had this fantasy relationship with him the whole time. The whole time, the whole time she's read his books up to the time that. She started to follow him and look in his yeah. window. Number There's so one many fan. things that made me think like, uh, I don't know. I feel like a lot of this is how she controls the situation and not so much that is uncontrollable anger. And then a lot of it is just so we could think that she's crazy, but I don't think that she is. I think there's some... I don't think she's crazy in the sense that she can't control herself. I think everything about her is calculated. What about when she's like screaming? Because I get it when she's nice and then he says the wrong thing and she gets really stern and like scary. But when she's freaking out like, cock-a-doodle car! Well, (laughs) I think that's all part of it too. Like she's trying to come off as this really nice woman that she is not. She's weird. Like it's weird from the beginning that as a nurse you wouldn't take me to a hospital. 
and you're a nurse. And yeah. <laughs> like well, what? Like what? I would never think as like if I ever worked in that field to be like, I'll take you to my home but instead of a hospital. <laughs> she she was like, oh, the police are going to come tomorrow. I called them. I'm a nurse. We can't get out. There's too much snow. I would still that think to me it was made weird. Sense. See, yeah. I think she planned to keep him there longer. But when she reads his manuscript and there is obscenity in it, it's like the first thing that kind of breaks her perception of him, which is kind of dangerous for him because she has a very saintly perception of him in her mind and this whole relationship yeah. with him as a perfect man and everything. So the fact that they have that argument right away, and that's the first time that she breaks, and it's not till the end of the movie that she finally swears, because after this, I was waiting 50 Six minutes for her to swear. I was like, she's got to swear. <laughs> it's going to be great. What did she say? She finally swears at the end. I think she says cocksucker. Yeah. Well, yeah, because isn't that when she, like, they're in that fight? Yeah. Because she's always had control. And then so he I calls feel her At the fight at the very end, she finally too. swears. Yeah, yeah. They both swear at each other. She's Glorious. always has control. So I feel like that would be the time where you would kind of, like, break. Yeah. But there was a... What was... What did he say? Um, keep going oh. back to this guy. But he was saying that her behavior is reminiscent of, like, celebrity stalkers now. Like, how, like, high and low they get. And how, like, if you say one bad thing, especially online, like, if you go and read comments, you're like, calm down. Yeah. Like, really? You know nothing about these people. You don't know these people. She's a very entitled <laughs> fan. So to, this is entitled fandom run amok. To her, Paul Sheldon is her problematic fave. Yeah. <laughs> Which I don't get. But no. I do not get celebrity worship whatsoever. People um, just think that if they like a celebrity, they're never allowed to do anything wrong, wrong. in their entire lives. Well, the way they're not human anymore. The yeah. way she expresses it is that, like, she worships him because he created such a pure character of misery. And her whole obsession with misery, you know, enforced her obsession with him. And, of course, it breaks right away. So, like, we're watching her have this huge mental shift <laughs> where... He's going to exploit this later, but she wants to keep misery alive. Like, misery is really the thing. And what she's willing to do to keep that character alive, and because he's tied to that, yeah, keeps him alive. I mean, that's the whole third act, yeah. 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 Um, he calls her, he says, eat it, you sick, twisted fuck. And I like that he said that to a woman. I thought, that I thought he like... was going to say bitch. Like when he yeah. paused, and I haven't seen this in a while, and I was like, I bet he said, oh, oh, sweet. You sick, yeah. twisted fuck. That's such a great thing to call a woman. I'm totally into that. I love it. <laughs> because bitch wouldn't sting. You oh. stupid bitch. Yeah. Then like, I would have oh. been mad at him. <laughs> like, oh, how many times have I heard that? But like, <laughs> I feel like. She'd be like, who cares? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've killed 50 babies. <laughs> <laughs> I love her character. And I always forget about Misery and about fucking Kathy Bates. I forget about this movie, too. It's kind of sad. Even when she you first see her, you're just like, oh, she's so dowdy. Like, with her weird, like, little bobbled-in haircut. <laughs> her if you open up style. the Webster College Dictionary to Frumpy, 
Oh my god. You see. <laughs> Kathy Bates from Misery. Some of these no, outfits. But her, face, but her face is gorgeous. Oh, like gorgeous. Yeah, yeah totally. The, I'm not, not even gonna deny that. She's I actually like, love how it's framed by like perfectly straight hair and then sweater. It's yeah, just sweater looks, and hair like perfectly framed. And, she looks yeah. really healthy. Like her hair and her skin and her eyes sparkle and she has like supple lips and all that. I think she looks really great. And you guys are kind of commenting on her clothing and attire and appearance. And I just feel like I think it would be so cool and this might be sexualizing her a little bit too much. I don't I don't know. But like if people got together and did like a cosplay Annie Wilkes calendar and they all like had these like photo shoots of like one person is like collecting logs in the winter with like an axe and then someone else is like you like, gotta get a cute feeding pig. A, no feeding a baby kitten with a bottle and like re- one's like wrestling with a pig in the mud oh, what would be just, great like, all that- is one of her with a blowtorch right in front of the bed just some, some well, dude in the bed, like ah! yeah, exactly. So it could be like all the all the stuff she likes and to she's do. So there's like a smiling. Gu- there's like a random guy that she's like, this is my guy for right now that I'm holding I do, hostage. The costume design is so amazing, though. It's just like the epitome of pleasant and unassuming. Just very oh, drab totally. greens and grays. And like at first, she's in this. I think the first you just see her strong outline of a person in a bunch of winter clothes and it's mm-hmm. just like what is going on and you, the first thing that you see is that she's strong because oh, she yeah. just lifts him out of the fucking yeah. car and fucking hoofs it to her place which they you were like talking about having angelica houston or jessica lang or to her play that character and i'm like i don't want to see jessica lang oh, carrying like that. anyone well, i like jessica I lang though was, they said there was, was more actresses oh but... yeah bet Midler was asked and she turned it down and then after it came out, she was like, I'm an idiot. Yeah. And I was like, but, but I always see that. was freaking perfect for it. Like, oh my gosh, just... yeah. So after I was like, oh, I'm so glad you didn't play this character. I think Like, I could not see Bette Midler the, playing this. The first time you see her dressed, she's wearing a, a sweater and a dress. And her second outfit is these amazing, very, very, like, flowy, big pants. It's like a pant-cut <laughs> pant yeah. dress. Yeah. And I was like... Now that you say Bette Midler, Bette Midler couldn't have pulled that off. Like, yeah. the way that she, like, gets across the yeah. room in that. Because Kathy Bates is still, like, she's, like, a little taller, you know? And, like, kind of built. It's, yeah. It's fucking Kathy it's Bates cool. is just a thickum. So I feel like she portrayed this role way better than Bette Midler. Because I feel like Bette Midler, too, always played a lot of sex appeal. And Kathy Bates didn't really have a lot of those characters. Like, she always did play kind of, like, that strong woman role. Although, I mean, this is before she started doing a lot of films, so I guess in theater, I don't know what she was really doing, but I just, I cannot see Bette Miller doing this character. Kathy Bates is just everything in this movie. Yeah, I didn't even think about who they might have cast. Yeah, but I mean, even Jennifer, who Jennifer Lang? Like, no. Gen- no, no. Jennifer no. Lang. Oh, I thought, I was thinking. No, no, no. no um, Jessica Lang? Jessica Lang. Oh, okay, sorry. Um, yeah, no. And Angelica Houston, I forget the other actresses, but, like, the even the other guys, they were bigger than James can. So it was, like, Robert De Niro and Jack Nicholson and all these kind of big, like, Michael Douglas. They're, like, even bigger than he is. It would have been interesting to, because Jessica Lange and Lauren Bacall are of a generation where that's, like, it's an odd thing where Kathy Bates is a different generation than Lauren Bacall. Yeah. So I can kind of see, like, where... 
And Stephen King, a lot of his films have like, you know, up and comings all the way to these like old greats. Yeah. I can kind of see where you can't mix that a tiny bit. Well, she did look kind of dumb. Like, I liked conservative clothing because when you went down memory lane, she had an elect Nixon sticker. And I was like, oh, she clearly, they're trying to build up, as you were talking about earlier, where does some of this cruelty and values come from? I think they try to give you a backstory that she had some like crazy conservative Catholic upbringing and it just slowly unravels for her, her niceness. Yeah, I also feel like she, wasn't she talking about like a radio show when she was explaining to him why she doesn't like cliffhangers? I think she grew up with a lot of that old style media. And what she was going to was, uh, they called them serials. And she calls them, not screenplays, but, um... She uses an old word. Something that refers to theater. But yeah, (laughs) they're basically like radio shows, but there was like a a visual element. It was like in the theater. Something like serials. I want to say that, but... Because when they go through them, he calls them serials, and they have an argument about how she's not dumb, but she calls them that because that's how she was raised. She knows what they're called by, like, well-read folk. I also yeah. liked when she when they have that dinner and she dresses so old school, like 1940s, like her hair's all curled mm-hmm. and she wears, I think she looks amazing. And she gets like super dolled up. It almost mm-hmm. like she's trying to portray this like perfect housewife image, even though there's just like right under the surface. And she <laughs> feeds him really well. It's weird because she knows that he's there for her to eventually kill and kind of torture physically and psychologically. But she's also like super nice and all she, it's weird because it's like all she wants is him to love her back, even though she's trying to kill him. And it's like all a game. But then, and a lot of the meals that they show, like I would totally eat that. Yeah. She makes them like good portioned food. Like food, yeah. Well, in the book, too, they describe her as, like, she gorges herself. Like, she eats a ridiculous Oh, yeah, all the chips and soda and stuff? Yeah. That's also weird, because her house is so prim and proper, and she has this farmhouse, and she has this whole image. But you're right, up in her room, it's kind of like a, almost like a child's room still. Yeah. Like, it's kind of, tra- not trashy, it's just she has different stuff up there that's not traditional. Yeah, that's not for house... It's almost like the downstairs is the showroom, like, okay, this is where people stay. Because typically when you go to people's houses, like, you don't go into their rooms anyway. Like, if anything, just use the bathroom downstairs. Everything's downstairs. It's also weird that she chose to have her master bedroom that's hers upstairs. No, I feel like that that's pretty normal. Because mm-hmm. you would have, like, all your guests would be downstairs. But it's it would be weird for them to go upstairs. Maybe it's maybe I'm thinking it's weird because her room looks more like an attic room, not just an okay, upstairs. Okay, not room. just an upstairs. Yeah. yeah like okay, the that would room. be weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like she only stores so much and she just does a bunch of crafty stuff, so like there's a lot of purpose to every room in the house, but yeah. Maybe to get Where does have... this take you in your notes since you picked her? And we'll just comment on where you're at. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm trying to Cuz I feel like I I touched on most of the stuff I wanted to well, right off the bat in the movie, when he wakes up at her house, she is describing his 
his injuries as if it's no big deal. Oh, she's and very... her tone when he's coming out of it is yeah. like, oh, yeah. it's just like, oh, it's so delirious and crazy. I love that. But yeah. she's so past, like, a, it's, when she is torturing him, she has this thing of, like, she really isn't there emotionally for what's oh, happening. Totally. And she does that when she's explaining his injuries. Like, it's really grotesque. Like, when she pulls back his blanket and his legs are really messed up. But yeah. she's making him feel safe and, like, making everything feel safe. Like, even the hobbling scene, it's so disturbing that she it's just... She uses the she, same tone in the yeah, hobbling scene. Yeah. Exactly as matter of fact. And, oh, totally. Yeah, it's... Like, she wants you to understand that you're in a controlled environment and, like, everything's going to be fine. But it's her controlled environment. environment. Yeah, yeah, and her version of that. I also think it's strange that she's always saying she loves him and she mm. cares about him. But as soon as he has a concern or, like, I don't know, I'm, my feet hurt or something. Whatever, my feet hurt. That's a <laughs> funny thing to pull out of my brain. Um, Just, like, anything that he needs or is if he's uncomfortable... She kind of ignores him, and that doesn't make. That's another thing that doesn't make sense to me. And I, she's a psycho, and she's also withholding. And yeah. I'm well. I just feel like for maybe her control, that was she has to be book. withholding because she doesn't want to give him anything she didn't plan to. You yeah. Know? And researching the movie was basically like I need to read the book again because there are so many little things like. I don't think I should do this. I don't think I want to read the book. I think I would be uncomfortable. Well, one thing that I read about the book that I think they didn't get through in the movie is that she basically tries to get him hooked on this painkiller, and she gets him hooked on it to the point that she leaves him alone for a month in the book, or uh, leaves him alone for a week without any painkillers or anything. So he goes through withdrawal and intense pain, and they don't don't get those two things through in the movie, that she gets him addicted to it, and that she leaves him alone as punishment because that's a fucked up punishment. Like, but you, yeah. I could tell in the movie that she wanted him on those pills, and he yeah. almost immediately stops taking them. And I'm like, oh, she wanted him on those. Yeah, that carried through at least. Um, sad that that didn't like follow through into the movie because that would have been. They could have made like also, a Netflix it, miniseries. I think super disturbing. To so see. if you made that a scene where he is just plain old suffering on a bed so this is 91 so i'm trying to think like the train spotting heroin withdrawal scene with the baby crawling on the ceiling that's like that's after 92 that's like 93 94 95 ish era and then i think about like kill bill 2 the buried alive in a coffin scene like these scenes that are how i think that would have been like it would have been a pretty rough Eight minutes. Yeah. I think you, you really have to like give it some credence. How long? Yeah, yeah. You, you would need to build that up. And but I think they kind of just got her to the point in the movie where her facade starts to fall a little faster, where they didn't have to do that yeah. torture scenario. What did you guys think of Dirty Bird and Dirty Birdie? I feel like those are most like recognizable. I hated them. Things that she says in the book. I don't like... Or in the movie. I thought the parts when she kind of flew off the handle, when I'm looking at her as a potential attractive villain, those were the most unattractive behaviors Well, all of her little, like, weird cutesy words that she would make up for, like, profanity was unattractive. (laughs) Yeah. Like, how she would just... Because she would... Yeah. (laughs) I feel like that's also the most recognizable, like, 
looking up quotes, like, those are the first things that come up. I like the cock-a-doodle... Cock-a-doodle something? (laughs) Cock-a-doodle car, but I don't know if she says it again in another part of the film. And her first, like, break in character is when... is over obscenity. And then you repeatedly see her, whenever she's perturbed, she utters some cover-up. And this is... I think that's part of that, like... She has some weird upbringing that she doesn't swear, right. but she yeah. has a million uh, other words. Yeah, fill in swears. Yeah, Fudge. she probably learned them all Fudges. from her her uh, serials. But yeah. um, the scene where she forces him to burn his book, that scene is weird in two ways because it's so sad that because you're seeing his face and yeah. his reaction to him having to do that to his book, but the whole time she's going. Oh my, heavens to Betsy. Heavens to Betsy. Goodness. Heavens to goodness. Betsy. Heavens to Betsy. Heavens yeah, to Betsy. Like and it's so whole, funny. Like she didn't know what was going to happen. Oh my goodness. Oh, my, And it's like the way she's she's speaking those words, it's like her swearing. Mm. But she's so like a southern belle about it a little bit. Yeah. That scene is really where this movie goes from pleasant to delightful. <laughs> For me, I was like, oh, she's so pleasant. Oh, and then also, uh, well, one part that I did think was cool that was really clever in the movie is um, in the first part of the film, when you're still seeing her kind of ramp up to how evil she can be, she's shaving him with a razor. And you think as a movie watcher, you're like, oh, there's going to be a really intense scene where you're afraid that she's going to cut him with a razor because she's really mad and that's going to be a thing. But halfway through the movie, when she's already been kind of crazy, she gives him a gift of a some kind of a razor so that he oh, and it's a it's an, an electric, electric razor razor so that she that he can shave himself, and that's yeah. so clever because it makes him kind of be like oh, you can be cool sometimes, and it yeah. also makes you feel like it like throws a curveball. A bit. Oh, totally. Because you oh, you yeah. forget that she was a nurse and she's done this a lot, and she gets the wheelchair as well, and is really trying to make him. Like, it's, it's still at the point where she thinks she can ease him into being comfortable yeah. and, like, has kind of forgotten about the obscenity thing a tiny bit to be like, we're still in a relationship. But <laughs> Yeah. And I, I do love, like, the development of her pet names for him starts around the wheelchair uh, electric razor thing because she stops, like, calling him Paul or anything like that. Like, always has a pet name. Young Sheldon. Oh. <laughs> That's what I think oh, of. It's, oh, it's so creepy. Um, what about when she blows them a kiss? Catch this! It's so cute. It's She's so like a adorable. little child. It is the biggest. Yeah, it is like a three-year-old. She does it like Shirley Temple in a yeah. little dress. Yep. There's a that's a gif on Tumblr, of course. Some of her shit too that she would do. It always made me think of like she must have been a very well-off child. Like I think so. Some of her like just her tantrums like. This is not behavior that would be tolerated in like a like your parents are stressed out poor home. Yeah, that's like, a good theory. This is behavior that's tolerated when you have a nanny and you go you deal with that. Like we're going out. <laughs> we're going to be in the west wing, you keep her on the east. We're good. She <laughs> screams, we don't hear her. That's a good I would believe <laughs> that more that. than anything else about her childhood that she was just brought up kind of spoiled. And that, like, maybe she was also brought out in a house that just created a lot of facades. Like, the mom out in public was a very, like, hoity-toity, like, housewife, like, loves her family. But in the house, she was like, I ain't doing any of this shit. I don't cook. I don't clean. 
And that's how she had the money <laughs> to become a nurse. Yeah. Oh, and lived in out in the mountains. Well, she well, moved. Does it say <laughs> when she moved to that town? Was that Couldn't have been during I those murders. I think she moved there because he writes there. I oh, think there you she, go. I do think because she knows how to cook and run such a, con, uh, such a conservative household, yeah. I imagine she probably grew up some kind of fundamentalist, but in like the Northeast, I'm trying to remember where she went to college, but wherever she went, it was like enough money to go to college, but probably her mom did cook. I didn't think of, she thought of herself as a servant. I thought she thought very much of herself as like trying to live up to some very nuclear family mother role. Yeah. Yeah. And she expected she everyone never... to do the same, like the love witch from what, 2016? Mm. The love witch is like, she just wants a man to fall in love with her, but whenever they do, it's never the right way. So she just kills them. But the whole movie is like, she's just so innocent and it, it's a weird movie. You don't know if she's the villain or not. Yeah. Um, I really liked something she said in the movie, which was, as a fan talking to someone that she really looks up to, she said, you'll never know the fear of losing someone like you if you're someone like me. And I think that's really relatable to a lot of people. Like, whether they're talking, whether it's, like, a fan-celebrity relationship or not, it could just be, like, your biggest crush in, like, high school or something. Oh, totally. It's relatable in that way. Person on the other side of the tracks. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's relatable in that way, but it's also just, like, what context are you taking this in, lady? Like, is it because that's how you perceive yourself, or is it because you've built him up in your head to be this pillar so that, of course, like, you're not a pillar to someone like that. Mm-hmm. So, like, losing you would be a lot harder for me than you losing me. Duh. And he's like, no shit, lady. <laughs> like, Who are you? Yeah. He's like, I've never met well, you before in my life. So I think we have <laughs> that relationship with certain artists throughout our lives. Like, I think anyone who was raised on, you know, Bowie, as he was passing, had that same reaction. Like, yeah. how is the world going to be in that way? But as we were talking about, Annie is Stephen King's humanization of his addiction. He can't, like, she's the fan he can't imagine his life without. And it's like, that's sort of, it's a portrayal of how he can't imagine his life without those addictions. Like, because he's such a big fan of drugs at that point. It's like... Without that chase, he doesn't know what his life is. And, like, that's the emptiness she thinks is going to happen if this character dies. So she'd rather kill both of them. Oh, yeah. Like, if you're going to leave, you're not going to leave me because I'm going to be empty again. So we're both going to die together because if we die together, it's more special. It is interesting that she chooses him to die with because, like, we've said she's killed so many people, but she's like, I want to die with you. Yeah. But at that point, wasn't she already knowing she was going to get caught because she killed the sheriff? Yeah, and the sheriff, and I'm pretty sure he told people where he was going. So yeah, the deputy he told. Yeah, his so. wife. <laughs> oh, deputy wife. They, so there's sweet. no closure on poor deputy wife. I know no. they never really. Okay. I like the way she did her hair. <laughs> and he does that in movies all the time, where you're just like, "What about the, the other character? What about all these other people? Was he the one that wrote that? Um, was this a short story? It was like on Netflix." Gerald's game? Yeah. Yes. Was that his thing? Yes. I feel like that was the only time where you kind of got an ending that where you were like, 
okay, at least she faced her demons. I still have to watch it. You're the one that keeps... I'm not trying to get you to watch it. I just no, thought no, no. it was in like... my head, I'm like, oh yeah, Natasha really liked that movie. It was fucking gruesome. <laughs> <laughs> this is our second Stephen King, I just realized. We gotta do Dreamcatcher someday. Mm. Um, I want to know, since you brought this up before, um, the dominant woman kink that comes out of this movie, or like the commanding, like, woman in charge fetish? I mean, where to start with this? <laughs> I think this is very much, yeah, if you're really into this villain, I totally get it, because it's like... I think she's hot. From meeting so many people who have, like, been raised in that hard christian family whether it was catholic or whether it was like fundamental american christian there's just like this real uh withholding of love and just like a practicality and making someone useful and some instead of somebody who like feels and i see annie wilkes as definitely a victim of that because she's so wrapped up in the ritual and her values and what she thinks a relationship is that she doesn't really think Paul and her have to have met and exchanged dialogue on what they feel makes a relationship work. She just thinks that because they ended up in the same situation (laughs) in proximity and she's making food for him, they're in this relationship. And like, also she's followed him a whole bunch of years that we don't know about. Yeah. Um, Yeah. If she's already such a de- delusional person and she knows everything about him. So, if you're a guy and you're going to put yourself in Paul Sheldon's shoes and you happen to have a sort of I think there's a huge appeal. And I don't know if it's a... I would say it was like for a submissive, I guess. Just in the sense that this woman sought you out and kidnapped you to put you in a bed and take care of you. I mean, that's they did a lot of work. That's a lot of kinks, actually, that I just It is a lot of kinks. Because it's like... And then she gets those leather straps out. Well, it's an obsessive woman kink, and it's like a homemaker kink, and like a feeding kink. Feeding, yep. And like a... Not like a bait, like I'm a baby kink, but like I'm a helpless kink. The the hospital kink. Mm. There you go. There's a lot of... Not quite Munchausen, but... Because he doesn't want to be sick, but... right. But there's like the Phantom Thread is a good example. Hmm. Have we have we seen that? Mm-mm. But I do know what you're talking about. Uh, also, twice in the film she says, "Did I do good?" And yeah. I'm, the second time she said it, I was like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> but he knows. Stop. The second time he's like working to seduce her because he's got his last ditch plan. So the first time he's like, "Yeah, real good." And the second time, perfect. Yeah, because a lot, I mean, someone could easily tack on, like, daddy onto the end of that sentence. Mm. Did I do good, daddy? Uh, yes. Or if it was, like, a Christian family, you'd be like, you done perfect, mother. <laughs> and I'm kind of noticing, this happens a lot in movies anyway, and correct me if I'm wrong, if there's been men that we've done as well, but just in the the villains that we've covered on this podcast randomly, the beating women beyond recognition in films, or in Corella Deville's case, since it's a children's film, she gets like birthday caked into like unrecognizable, but misery, and then Daisy Domergue from The Hateful Eight and Corella Deville, which is the children's version of like 
getting beaten to a bloody pulp. Yeah. It's just something that I kind of picked up on. And I think a lot of our podcast is trying to like pick up on patterns. Like there's a lot of guys in suits as like a villain. A lot of like evil queen, female queens as villains. And I feel like I've seen a lot of movies where the woman really gets it in the end. And I'm not sure what that means yet. And I think... Wilkes falls into this hard to kill category where she has like a comeback when you think she's dead. Like, <laughs> like Sam Raimi style, <laughs> yeah. not dead yet. Yeah. Like it was fucking glorious because I forgot that happened on this rewatch. And I was like, it's like, wouldn't it be hilarious if she came back? Yay! <laughs> <laughs> Spoilers. Kind of odd. But I mean, it's great. And uh, it kind of goes into that Dominic you territory but with Don Riku, it's more like they go out of their way to really kill her whereas <laughs> he's fighting he's like pretty it's like much a li- it, it is a life and death yeah, yeah they're they're evenly matched at that point as far as like she's had a massive brain injury and uh he's got no legs in hateful eight it's a little bit different themed but with Cruella Deville and Annie Wilkes the the getting beaten up at the end it's really because those two characters are very pristine and very like wants everything perfect and gets it that way up until the end of the film so when they get beaten up all crazy it's like oh now you're down in the dirt now now you're learning your lesson and getting like rough housed which <laughs> yeah. is like getting thrown into a cake mixer and in Annie's case she is rolling around on the floor with him, which is interesting too, because she says she's in love with him so much, but she never once has, she never tried to like physically assault him or anything. So she never forced himself, herself on him. Cause it's not proper. They were yeah. married. And like, she'll be physically abusive to him, but it's never like, she's not using her body to like yeah. get physical with him. She'll shake the bed and she'll slam books down and she'll hobble his legs but when they're rolling around on the floor together and he's getting punches in as well, it's still that theme of like, oh, lady, now you're really getting it. And the way she dies is brutal. It's Stephen King. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's just... Oof. The only other thing that I had that was like, I was confused by was how the screenwriter and writer were going back and forth and even doing the act scene, not doing the act scene... And how, um... I heard it was, like, a budget thing. So in the book, they they cut off the guy's... In the the book, Annie cuts off his leg and then blowtorches it to cauterize. Yeah. And that's also hobbling. Yeah, there was a blowtorch involved. And they went back and forth. And it wasn't so much budget, it was... They thought it was too brutal. Like, it would have been too much... It's still brutal like that. ...to see, like, on screen. And... Uh, Kathy Bates and the screenwriter wanted to keep it in and she was disappointed that they didn't but also when it came to that scene she was very like emotional about it at the same time like when they went to actually film like she cried before and after that scene because it was like a lot poor thing I know I was like Kathy I mean I bet it (laughs) she's gotta give a deadpan (laughs) explanation of what she's about to do to this man actually horrifyingly good scene since she's a nurse though and she's used to killing babies well no she's used to helping people recover it actually makes more sense that she would just hobble his legs because then she bandages them 
and he's healing back up again, which is what she's good at. So cutting yeah. off his legs wouldn't have wouldn't have served fit that the, purpose. the yeah. nurse. Thing. But the screenwriter was saying in the end, like actually that was a better choice to not go so like to ten. They went to eight, which was still pretty bad. But, like, it gave room for, like, the rest of the movie to grow. Because when you watch it, you're just like, oh, they would have just cut off shit. Like, you would be waiting for, like, what the hell are they going to do next? Like, what is going to happen next? And, I mean, considering this is, like, pre-Saw and pre-Hostel, like, pre... Mm -hmm. It's actually, like, just before some some French ultraviolence. But, like, this for America is, like, I still think... The hobbling scene is totally effective. Like, just, oh, actually, I very much like, so. so. Like, I mean, there's Reservoir Dogs is around the same time, like cutting an ear off. I was like, just about to say, and then Silence of the Lambs. Everybody said was so intense. So if you look at other movies around yeah. that time, it was probably really intense. Yeah, and I do feel like it does get overplayed a lot to just like cut off limbs, but like breaking them and then setting them back in place so that you can hurt them again. Like That's definitely that's something you would have so seen less often back then. Just <laughs> the utilitarianness of that fucking wood block in between the his ankles. It's like, oh. When huh. did Henry... If you empathize, I think you'd rather get your foot sawed off and like blowtorch. Like in Saw, there's no blowtorch. He has to saw his own leg off, but there's yeah. no like cauterizing. So it's just like, they kind of, it's almost like taking the book version of this a little further. Yeah. Have you guys seen Henry, Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer? Mm-mm. That was 1986, and it's one of the scariest movies ever made. I've never seen it because I'm actually afraid to, because people say it looks like someone filming people killing other people, and they don't cut away at all. And it's hard for a lot of people to watch it. I actually watched the trailer two weeks ago, and I'm afraid to watch the movie because the trailer freaked me out. Was it? And that was 1986. Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. It stars the guy that has, like, the blue skin that plays, like, the dad character in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Okay. He has a weird name. He's in, like, It's not Woody Harrelson. No. It's, but, uh, I know who you're talking about. Yeah. Even though I haven't seen it, I think I get what kind of a movie it is. Wow. Okay. Um, I know exactly who you're talking about. Yeah. No, that would be creepy because that it's, guy. <laughs> like, just that always creeps me out too when you hear stories of people that were like, "Oh, we went through my uncle's. My uncle passed away, and he was really cool. And we went through all the stuff, and we found tapes. And on the tapes were like just fucked up shit. Where they're like, what the f- with our uncle are you talking about real life? Yeah, like people who tell stories of like. Oh, my uncle passed away, or my dad, or my grandpa passed away. I've never away, heard a like, story. What? Like, no, from anyone I, that I know, no. Not from what I know. Like, okay. when you, like, yeah. Like, when you hear people say it in the media or something? Yeah, like, just yeah. either online when people go through stories of, like, what's the weird shit you found in your house? Or sometimes on podcasts, too, they'll have people send in, like, oh, like, tell us what you found in your walls, or what you found, like... Fish. Like, when you're renovating or whatever, and people are like, we found teeth. And like, Why do we always get those letters where they find teeth behind, like, weird sections they of the bathroom? They did that on Queer Eye. He, like, sticks his hand into a bag and pulls Antony. Yeah. And he pulls it out, and he's like, I just touched teeth. Oh. <laughs> it's like a bag of teeth by It's always bed. just weird shit, and they're like, what the fuck was my grandpa doing? Like, what what's this? Um... Uh, let me know when I should go into my... I only have, like, this much stuff. But I also have a Creep Corner story. 
I think I'm through my notes. I mean, I'm ready for the sweet, sweet for food, food corner. Sweet, sweet, sweet food. <laughs> <laughs> um, the American Film Institute includes Annie as the 17th most iconic villain of all time and sixth most iconic female villain in film history. Have you seen... I didn't real. I've seen this video before and I didn't realize I'm a bad misery fan, I guess. There's a co- there's a YouTube video that got really viral of this woman who's cosplaying Annie Wilkes that goes into a Barnes and Noble, yeah, and acts crazy, and it's like seven minutes long, and I couldn't finish. I didn't want to watch it the first time I found it, and then when I realized it was about misery, and I tried to rewatch it for this podcast, it's so uncomfortable because she's oh, like, yeah, she's basically like emotionally abusing the people behind the counter and she's like embarrassing herself but she like keeps going through it and it's like a prank gone wrong but it's cool that it happened and i love that it's such a deep cut yeah like i said it's like i've seen misery but she's screaming about um paul sheldon and like misery's child and i didn't get it when i was seeing it it's really cool and then i think the the, vi- the name of the video doesn't have anything to do with misery. It's just like crazy lady in Barnes and Noble or something. Oh, yeah. Like that. Yeah. But if you do look up Annie Wilkes cosplay, it's a lot of really happy people. And I found a lot of them actually scary looking because when you cosplay horror villains, it's kind of like a, a whimsical thing. But because Annie looks so normal, it really does look like normal women holding huge sledgehammers. Yeah. And that creeps me out more than, like, Jason Voorhees cosplay oh, totally. or something. Because <laughs> it's such a crazy contrast. It just looks like a real person holding a very dangerous weapon. <laughs> yeah, totally. And then I have my Tumblr hashtags, which is just uh, any posts with Annie Wilkes. People add things to the hashtags, and I've collected some. Hashtag not good for my spiritual development. <laughs> Hashtag rough. Hashtag my bae. Hashtag my wife. Hashtag I love this bitch. <laughs> hashtag she's hot. Hashtag fandom life. Hashtag, you know what? Despite the fact that she's toxic fandom, I am attracted to her. So there's, yeah, I get it. I get it. Yeah. And I do have trouble with the movies that we cover where the villain is kind of like shown in a more serious light. But I do really like her personality, and I feel like, I guess we're doing hot or not, sorry. (laughs) Is she hot or not? To me, yes. Um, Because I feel the way about her as I feel about Ramsay Bolton from Game of Thrones. Mm -hmm. Like, she's really attractive to me. She's not the type of person I would ever hang out with because she likes romance novels, and she's very... She says dirty birdie, and so I don't really like her personality, but I think she's super attractive, and I like the way she dresses and she the way she carries herself, but I would be scared to be around her, and I feel like she would kill me, so I wouldn't Yeah, she doesn't want... seem like the person that has friends. Yeah, but she is hot. I yeah. would just not want... I would just... She's too scary. In a yeah. very homey way. Like, yeah. very... Homey, but sexy homey. I, there's a... I realized that earlier I was like, maybe a sub would be into her, but I'm like... Actually, maybe a 
Dom would be into her because I think she has the sort Did of subservient streak. Yeah. yeah. I'll make you dinner. She's such an enigma because it's just, it seems like she wants control. And like, even when she's being cute, she's usually exerting some kind of mild form of her power over him. Like, letting oh, yeah. the pig into his room or just drugging him. I feel him. like she would be like the, a great sub. Because they hold a ton of power throughout the entire... Like a power sub? She's powerful. Powerful Well, they hot. just they hold a lot of the rules because all the things are being done to them. I don't know. I in don't a respectful... Know. Yeah. You have equal power in a I respectful think... sub-dom well, no. relationship, yeah. of course. I think it would be how she is in this movie. Like, you fucking sit in that bed... Did I make a good dinner? It's I like feel that. Like, like it would it. have to be a poly. And I think situation. you start to get a sense of her being bipolar because yes. she even has that moody blue day when it's raining out, yeah. and she's just so different than yeah. her usual. Like she's not trying to be nice, but she's also not trying to be a bother. Yeah, it's such a. She's just going through all kinds of phases on this. And then you never know whether she's in the the sub or dom mood. Mood, yeah. Is she hot or not? Totally. Oh, yeah. When you're going through this trip and it's sort of, you know, you and Paul are getting seduced as you're watching this movie and, like, trying to feel comfortable. And then all the tension comes from the fact that if you're (laughs) like Paul, who pretty quickly starts to get creeped out, you're going to get creeped out and realize that this is all not a bother. And if this whole movie doesn't bother you until the end, well. <laughs> we know what you're into. <laughs> hobble me. <laughs> hobble me, mommy. <laughs> uh, it's hashtag hobble me, mommy on Tumblr, which is going to get taken down, you know? I mean, like we're, as we're recording we this, Tumblr is getting canceled. Oh, you know what? This is After a sad this... era, man. Well, I'm wondering what's going to happen to our Tumblr page because sometimes I say suggestive things in our description. So I don't know if we're going to get flagged because when this podcast drops, Tumblr will have no not safe for work on it. And they're already taking people's down pictures of dinosaurs. That's legit just a straight up dinosaur. And they're like flagging it for pornography. Really? Yep. We're just going to have to sexualize Annie Wilkes. Extremely conservative dress style to get past these Tumblr standards. I do remember last month when we decided we were doing Misery, you, Eric, were like, Kathy Bates is so fucking sexy. (laughs) That's what you said. But the thing is, it's it's odd too, like, watching this, because I remember her from her later works, and like, she's always such a glowing... She's a very sexual person. Like she I, is. I just think she is fucking absolutely radiant. Wasn't she then, trying to get into Jack Nicholson's pants in uh, About Schmidt? Yes, she's in a... Well, wait. She's like the sexy grandma. She's in a hot tub in, yeah, that, one, yeah. in that one. Yeah, she's trying to have sex with him. But even, like, it's just crazy because, like, I've seen her in other roles that are just more, like, independent woman and i've always mm-hmm. thought she's just so strong and powerful and in this she is so strong and powerful she was a fucking monster in horror story i don't want to talk about it nope. in that one Ooh, it, it was what season at all oh, what, season three was really scary and i it think was... what was she in season two was she a bad nun in that no she was um the one i'm thinking of like, it's the one they filmed in New Orleans, The, the Witches? The third one. Yeah. Hmm. She was I don't even, a it, fucking 
monster. I love that <laughs> she was season, but a horrible person. I have to fast forward through those. But it parts. it fit her too because she has that like. So, is she from the south? I, I don't, don't know. know. Because she's played Southern women before. Like, yeah. she's in green fried green tomatoes, yep. and she's, like, total Southern belle in that. But she was, like, this Southern, like, slave owner in the first, like, scene of, or whatever season of Horror Story. And it was, like, she had slaves She's, in like, a French attic. New Orleans lady. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. And, um... She would like take their blood and mutilate them to like make a mask for herself. It was a whole no, thing. No, she was just like, no. She's the this is it was what <laughs> was a woman in real life, and you can take a tour of her house. But she would take her slaves and put them upstairs and just do anything she wanted. Like imagine it was like Ramsey Bolton. Yeah. Ramsey Bolton is based off of this lady that Kathy Bates played. I wonder if because this nurse is also kind of based off of. A couple of historical Ugh, I'm like killers, so like out right now. I mean, I wonder if she just. It might be helpful that she has those people that she can kind of like put herself, try to put herself in that mindset. But when they get her for these roles, she kills it. She Every absolutely time. kills it. You Every know, when it time. comes to doing American Horror Story in the future, I would like to do a more sensible villain, like one of Jessica Lange's villains. Oh no, totally. I, do, I, just totally... <laughs> I definitely don't want to dive into that particular villain. I just at feel all. you know she's so unassuming and you're just you don't want him to make her mad you know no. yeah. you don't know what's gonna make her mad no. and then it just it's such and the it's tension actually... is just so and we've so all been now beautiful. yeah even we've... knowing what happened in that movie like i still got anxious like i know what's gonna happen but fuck like yeah. <laughs> she hot or not oh she's definitely hot i kathy Bates can do no wrong and i could not see anyone playing that character at all like if they reboot everything because nobody wants to write anymore. And if they ever reboot that movie, like, she just has to play that character again. Because there's no way to, like, who would play her? I don't know. That's a Like, I just feel like when I first saw that movie, I was like, what a perfect... I didn't give a shit about the ranger. I didn't give a shit about... Was this... I can't even remember his name. But, like, Kathy yeah. Bates was it. She was, like, well, the movie. And she played it so feminine. Like, when she was trying to be sweet to him and saying I love you and stuff, she looked so... Maybe it's because I am used to her in her older roles. So when I see her like this, she seems so feminine and sweet and like not kind of like adolescent, like in a, in a young adult flirty way. Like there's parts in the movie where she's in her head, she's acting really flirty yeah, and sweet. And I thought she was just really attractive like that. And I feel a large part of it has to do with the fact that she's had so much theater portraying that she just knows how to project emotions in a way that a lot of people wouldn't be able to do Mm -hmm. and on top of that like she can be glamorous but she also isn't known for going over the top like a lot a lot of celebrities like you know that she's just a regular woman so i googled is annie wilkes hot and i actually got a website that's like a generalized it's whatever person or character's name you type in and then it says FAQ 2018 and it's this this random page of like made up bullshit of like uh what's Annie Wilkes's net worth net worth this year does Annie Wil- Wilkes smoke pot and like all this random shit and I found this I screen capped it is Annie Wilkes hot or not it literally says that 
and it says 0% of all voters think that Annie Wilkes is hot. 100% voted not hot. And then I voted- It has one vote, doesn't it? I voted hot, and it still came out as 0% of all voters, so who knows? You can take it to the polls. Oh, oh God, we haven't done food yet. Okay, Um, what food would Annie be? I was thinking she would be a rancid stew- because you can kind of clean it up and cook it again, and it's still gonna smell like Ew. sitting in that stew. pot for too long. Yeah, and it's still gonna smell like oh, the stew that oh. I made the other day. But then when you taste but it, but then after you eat it, your whole body kills itself. So it looks all nice and sweet and wholesome, and then you eat it, and it destroys your body. I'm gonna Which go. Good. <laughs> I'm gonna go with chicken and dumplings because. They always sound so fucking good. Oh, and they eat it. Well, but when you eat it, it's delicious, but I feel like it's very unhealthy for you because isn't even the broth just like filled with fat and like gluten from the dough and the chicken? I mean, yeah, I have not had a good chicken and dumpling for a while. It smells really good. Amanda makes good chicken and dumplings. When she makes it, it's like, the dumplings are all slimy on the outside, like yeah. they're supposed to be. And then yeah. when you bite into it, it's like dry on the inside. <gasps> I love that. Like bread-like. I've just had very bland chicken and dumplings and I'm just Sorry. so over it. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what else is like insidious about t- chicken and dumplings, but she just makes me think of chicken and dumplings. And it's probably something she eats all the time. I'm trying to think more along the lines of something like buttery biscuits where you're, you're just so delighted by them and you you start eating them but then all of a sudden you're like oh shit six biscuits in the biscuits have me i, I don't know like something that like traps you like that because i think oh, the feeling of being so many times the feeling of being trapped at the end of this movie is like really the the biggest feeling you start to get and you're just Oops, really all riling. out of biscuits oh where are the biscuits <laughs> biscuits with a whole bunch of butter on each biscuit that also sounds delicious. I know. Ooh, Annie, you're so yummy. <laughs> like, all of this actually just sounds good. We should just make, <laughs> not, well, well, not the rancid stew. Just No, just regular stew. Pre-rancid. Um, and to top it all off, I have a Creep Corner story. Okay, this is from Tumblr user Dan Z-I-X-I. Dan Z-I-X-I. Which is... Spelled D-A-N-Z-I-X-X-I-E. And it's just a general kind of like all-encompassing super hot bad guy story. Uh, And I'm horrible at reading it loud, so I'm handing it over to Eric. You're bad too, right? I'm fine reading. Do you want to read it? Yeah. Okay. Okay. There's something to be said of the cocky asshole trope when it comes to villains. Super hot bad guys specifically. I could go on forever about how our own narcissism and flaws is what makes these bad guys more relatable and appealing. But really, the idea of someone who is confident and doesn't give a fuck is what's pretty hot. Two examples come to mind right away when considering this, and they're both somewhat different from each other. One that I've admired since I was a kid is Gaston. Gaston? That's what it says. Oh my god. Okay. Sure. (laughs) 2017, Luke Evans Gaston is comparably more attractive than the cartoon, but the character itself has an air about him. Something about Gaston's selfishness and conceit has um, 
and conceit has forgiven the use of the phrase big dick energy (laughs) 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 that just doesn't stop or give a fuck. Something about this is um, something about that is in his own words, wildly attractive. Don't know. My other example in another direction is Negan from Walking Dead. Again, this is more aimed at Jeffrey Dane Morgan's portrayal of him, which has no fucks to give. He's driven, he gets what he wants, and as threatening as he is, he does everything with a creepy kind of swagger and charm. As I write this, I realize it makes even less sense. Maybe it's the combination of danger and charisma. Negan could bash you to death with his bat or be the type to get rough and spank you. Is it fucked up, my thoughts went there? Maybe so. It'd be a lie to say other people out there don't think the same thoughts. I just think Negan's hot because he's hot. <laughs> yeah, I, I need to watch that stupid fucking show. Well, we're definitely, when his character finally dies, we'll definitely cover him for the podcast, which means I have to start watching The Walking Dead. Well, he's so. most likely going to die at the end of this season, whatever season they're on. Good, then we can do the it. I one. But, um, I mean, she's right about his character ugh, in that show. Because he has a way of being kind of funny and, like, has a flirty way about him. But then he, like, when he gets angry, he's also kind of, like, flirty in one of the guys, but then he starts bashing people's heads in with that bat while still kind of being like, what's up, you guys? And whatever. I've seen him play villains before, and I've seen him in, like, romantic comedies. Yeah. So I can picture those melding together. His personality, I mean, from what I've heard of his I don't really follow him. He's whatever, just not as I feel like his actual, like, I'm going to bullshit and joke around and, like, nudge at you personality definitely shows through with his character. Well, I wish I wish this person's URL was Dan Dixie, because that's what I was reading it as the whole time, and that's not, and it would have been so much easier to be like, Dan Zixie. Thanks. Is it Dan Zixie? Zixie. Okay, Zixie. I can go with that. Thanks, Dan Zixie. <laughs> Very kind of you to share your story. No, yeah, yeah it's Thank great. You. I actually like these general stories too because it mm. gives them space to kind of open up and just talk about attractive villains in general. Oh, and I did find one more Ooh. like it was like an Annie Wilkes again. It was on Tumblr. It was a meme. So there is these memes that people do with horror films specifically, where there's a website called Things Boys Do We Love. And it's things like, when boys are finally yours, and it's like a picture of a couple hugging on a beach. When he brushes your hair out of your face in the morning. Yeah, it's like stock photos with like cute little things boys do for you. And so When he puts foot powder in your running shoes. So the picture (laughs) is like a stock photo of like people on a beach hugging, and it says, when boys are finally yours. And then down below it is the picture of Annie looking down at him strapped to the bed. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Looking down at Paul. I thought that was cute. (laughs) Those are good memes. They're they're, They're great memes. Yeah. Because the first memes are always so fucking stupid. (laughs) What are we doing for next month? I want to do Fifth Element. I want to do Jean-Baptiste. I've been... Gary Oldman. Okay, let's do it. He's like a capitalist Darth Vader. I remember him having a weird helmet thing. Uh Yes, sweet. Oh, yeah, I haven't seen this movie in a long time. Body tight suit. Oh, it's for... All right, so next step. Yeah, and it's so over the top. What's his name? Jean-Baptiste Emmanuel. 
Oh, I'm going to remember Oh, that. is he related to you? Ha! <laughs> There's so many Bap- Jean Baptiste, to be exact, but it's kind of insane. I need to figure out my cool. history. I was wondering when we were gonna do that movie. Right? Did we already do? Did we already do American Psycho? No. We haven't. No. That was the other one I was thinking. That was my. I was. I was trying to think. Remember, like, did we do? Did we talk about this and this? If we all read the book too, the book is fucking. I know. Crazy. Oh yeah, it's a. So the book came before the movie, and it is fucked up. Well, yeah, because the movie (laughs) itself is, is fucked. But it. Oh no, the book is. Way more. <laughs> it always is. It's well, actually I, like like there are some murders that I recent. I finally heard something recently that I was like, "Wow, that fucked me up for days." To hear about that, yeah. And I had never heard this kill about this killer before. I came home and I was like, "I can't tell you about this killer's name because I don't want Jeffrey you to look Dahmer? him up." Nope, worse, but uh, worse than Jeffrey oh, Dahmer. Well, it was just hearing the story told about what they did to people. I was just like, "Wow, that is really." Were fucked you up. listening to Lore? Lore's pretty tame. What? Sometimes. <laughs> Next month on the ho- Super Hot Bad anyway. Guy podcast, <laughs> we're gonna cover Jean Baptiste Emmanuel Zorg, Gary Oldman in The Fifth Element. That's his name. Starring Bruce Willis oh, as Corbettus, Mila Jovovich as Lilu, Minai, Lekatriba, Liminai, Chikchai, Ekbet, Disabet. <laughs> so many amazing. Honestly, Ruby Rod is probably the hottest villain in this whole movie, but Zorg, Zorg pulls a hot second. It'll be good music. Yes. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Uh, get permission from Dan. Have yourself a good old time and creep it sleazy. And I don't have one yet, so I'm just going to say bye. <laughs>